How's it going, Barney? It's fun. Uh, Things you. are good. Yeah, thank you for doing it. Um, I'm here. This is Red River Podcast. I'm here with uh, my two friends, uh, Tim and Chris. Hi, Barney. Hey, Barney. How you doing? Nice man? to speak with you. Hey, Tim and Chris. Um, so, yeah, let, let's have this discussion. Just uh, really wanted to uh, have a chat with you. Um, I know Tim is friends with your cousin, Shari, and um, she she told us this, this tidbit, and, and we... We were like very excited to talk to you. Um, definitely, uh, we're huge Friday the Thirteenth fans, and uh, the fact that Friday is Friday the Thirteenth, it just seemed like the the best time to do it. Well, speaking commercially, every Friday the Thirteenth, um, uh, they play a lot of Friday the Thirteenth movies, and I always wind up with a little bigger check in my quarterly residuals. So I enjoy Friday the Thirteenth. Absolutely, um, but yeah, so. You know, we, we kind of just wanted to get a little bit background uh, on basically your life. Um, you know, I, I know that somewhere along the way you, you developed a friendship with uh, director Joe Zito. Um, but can you get us to before you met him and, and uh, what made you want to become a writer? Ah, uh, Well, like everybody else, I started out as a child. Uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do, including, I don't know, halfway through college. Um uh, I, I, a writer always seemed to me a, a romantic thing to do, specifically a journalist. But I had no, I had no idea about anything. Uh, when I graduated uh, college, a uh, couple of cousins wanted to uh, give me a job. Uh, one, um, one, one had a, 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 a paint business, and the other one had, was in show business. Oh. So I went with the show business Absolutely. guy. Good, good move. Good move. I would have went paint, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> a good choice. Well, actually, actually it, was, it was very forward thinking because the paint job uh, paid more. But um, I went to sh- uh, and he, he introduced me to um, uh, the head of um, uh, advertising and publicity at Twentieth in New York, and uh, I got the job and wound up. Uh, uh, writing um, ads for movies, uh, creating posters, and, and not not as an artist, as a as a figure generator with stick figures. I would show, um, I would show uh, what what the poster ought to look like, and then I'd bring in an artist, and the artist would do it. Did you write like the uh, taglines and, and stuff for those? Yeah, I did. Um, well, I did, I did. I did the mash fingers, you know, the, the peace sign. With sure, yeah. Woman oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah, I did. I did a lot. I did several. Um, uh, working for Twentieth, they they allowed me to uh, re- freelance quite a bit. So there are a lot of uh, uh, books, you know, fifty greatest horror movie posters of all time. I have three or four in there. Oh wow! Um, five million years to Earth, and. Um, 
so uh, so then I, I got I got a little bored with that because I won a couple of awards, uh, and it seemed like a if I was going to be a smart guy, it seemed like doing ad posters um, for movies were, was kind of a, a waste of time. So so you might think I'd go to my second idea, which is to be a journalist, which is exactly what I did. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't go I didn't go from writing movie advertisements to writing movies, but I became a journalist. Uh, I worked for the New York Times and um, Esquire, parenting, I was just a general runaround journalist. I did that for, I don't know, 10 years or so. And then um, somebody wanted to make a, um, um, a TV movie uh, off of one of my um, uh, uh, articles. And it turned out to be not a TV movie. It turned out to be a, a CBS after-school special called The Year of the Gentle Tiger, which was about two kids who meet in a dojo, and um, one Asian, one one uh, a corkazutical. And um, I'll spell that for you if you need it. I already spelled it out. No, no problem. Okay, good for you. Uh, and, and then have to fight against each other in the Junior Olympics. And um, then I got, and then CBS hired me to do a um, uh, an after school special mini series, which was a half hour a day for uh, I think four days. And I think Zito, Joe Zito, uh, got to read it. Uh, I don't know whether they hired him to do it, but I, I believe that they they canceled the after school mini series um, just just before deciding whether or not to produce it. And Zito um, contacted me about doing a horror movie. He said because he, he loved the kids that I drew, that it was so realistic. And I, uh, so I, I he really he screwed me on the deal. I mean, I love Joe, but he didn't tell me what it was. He just said it's a horror movie. You have to kill a lot of kids. So I signed the deal, and then he told me what it was. And so I could have charged at least double, but it was the uh, it was the third. It was the fourth movie, the final chapter. So there had been three before. I hadn't seen any of the three because I'm just not a horror fan. Okay. Uh, but at that time, I was living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and on the Upper East Side, there was a theater that was showing a triple feature. Guess what? Friday the Thirteenth, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Man, that so I had good times. <laughs> I hailed a cab, uh, took it across Central Park, went to, to the theater and. 86th Street and Lexington Avenue, and um, and then I watched the three, and I hailed a cab, came back halfway through uh, Central Park. It's, it's dark out now. I say to the driver, "Look, when you get to Cent- when you get to Fifth Avenue, uh, which the uh, bound as the boundary of Central Park on the east, on the on the on, on the west. Wait a minute, I got this all backwards. When you get to Central Park West, um, go make a U-turn, come back. Uh, I got to go see these movies again." Because I realized that in all the hits, all of the stabbings and brutalizations, I had closed my eyes. And I needed to go back and see what they looked like. <laughs> so I went back and saw the three again. And then I called up Zito and said, okay, I'm ready. So you, but, you, didn't, uh, you didn't go back and watch yeah, them again and say, uh, ah, shit, I should have stuck the painting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually got my eyes open. Uh, and they, were, they weren't as bad as I thought. But, but to answer your question, I sort of always wanted to be a uh, quote unquote man of letters. I just didn't know what to do with it. And I sort of meandered my way from advertising to, um, 
to journalism to getting this gig to uh, write Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, which of course changed everything. And I've been a I've been a, a movie writer, screenwriter, television guy ever since. So you had like no real relationship with horror up to that point, and and uh, you figure so this was probably like eighty three or eight like eighty two. No, actually, have to be eighty three because part three was out. Um, and, and, I was going to say, in, in the slasher genre was such a big deal by that by that point. So I guess it's just something that never connected with you. I didn't even know what a slasher genre was. When I was a little kid, <laughs> I used to read Tales from the Crypt. Yes. Uh, yeah. Awesome. In that, in that Norman Rockwell cliche, you know, under the covers with a flashlight. Yeah. And it often gave me nightmares. And when um, Creature from the Black Lagoon came out, uh, I, was, I was right in the middle of my um, Tales from the Crypt days. And I went to see it with a bunch of friends. You know, mom dropped us off. And it was a really hot day. It was the first movie I'd ever seen in 3D. Uh, and I, earlier that morning, I had been beamed in a baseball game. So the minute Riku Browning came swimming at you out of the out of the depths with his gills and whatnot, I threw up. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> wow, okay. That's crazy. <laughs> um, and that, that sort of, uh, you then had a Pavlovian uh, reaction to every horror movie since? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that I, I kind of shied, shied away from horror. So what what movies were you watching? Like what what was inspiring you? Um, you know, at, at um, that time. I like, I, I like cowboy movies. I like war movies. Uh, I um, what movies are my favorites? Uh, war movies, and, and I, I actually liked movies that I was ashamed to tell people I liked. Uh, I liked Gidget. I saw Gidget three or four times. That's funny. My wife so actually forced me to watch Gidget. I had never seen it, and it's one of her favorite yeah. movies. And so, it's, yeah. it's, it's really a wonderful movie. It's one of the best coming-of-age movies ever. I suppose it's even better if you're a woman uh, watching it. But uh, I, I like movies like that. I um, I like I like musicals. Uh, I, and usually I had to lie to my friends who always wanted to watch John Wayne, although I like John Wayne, too. Um. So moving forward, like so, you know, you're you're sent with this task to to write this screenplay, um, and how did you prep for something like this? I mean, aside from watching the movies, did you have like an idea of what you wanted to do from uh, the beginning? No, no I, I went back. To, <clears throat> I went back to my Tales in the Crypt days. Okay, and tried to remember all the things that really scared me. And try to turn them this way and that way until they fit. I've been they they gave me a story. They said this is what we want to do. So I had I had the bare bones of the story that I needed that I needed to massage this way and that way uh, to make it fit what, what I thought I could do. And um and I just plunged right in, which is what I've what I've always done. I I, I was a, a generalist um, as a as a, a ad man. I I did everything. Um, and I was a generalist as a, uh, a, a newspaper writer. Uh, I did everything. I've never had a specialty. And so in, in, in the showbiz career, um, like I said, I started out on after school specials. And then I had, I think before I had done, I did Friday the 13th. It wasn't my, it was not, was not my first rodeo. I did a movie for, um, the guy who directed the after school special, um, 
the guy who directed it at the school special uh, was doing a movie that turned out to be the French Quarter with Bruce Davison, Ron, uh, uh, not Rhonda Fleming, Rhonda Fleming, Virginia Mayo, sort of ended Virginia Mayo's career, and um, and several other people. And he asked me to write that uh, because he liked the writing of the after school special. So I wrote that, and then Leonard Malton gave it three stars and called it an undiscovered drive-in classic. So bless his heart. Wow, that's yeah, that's, all yeah, that's great. <laughs> Love the, the after the after school miniseries was interesting. It was called The Inside Out Clown, and it was about a fat kid who goes to clown school because he's funny. And what he learns is <laughs> you have to work. At, yeah, you have to work at being funny because it's not just just fat doesn't get you where you want to go. So I wound up being sent to the Sarasota Sailor Circus, um, which is a, a small circus in um, in Orlando, uh, where they train uh, circus people, particularly clowns. So um, in two weeks, I learned to walk a wire. Uh, it, was, it was really a lot of fun. Zito at the time, I, I haven't seen Joe in a long time, but at the time, he was a bit mm, fat. <laughs> and uh, he, he found... He found the kids in, in in the in in the script to be heartbreaking for him. So what he told me was, uh, okay, we're going to write this horror movie. By then, I knew it was Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. and I said, and don't think of any crazy new ways to kill them. Just make real kids like you did in that script and in the Year of the Gentle Tiger, and then whatever we do to them will be shocking. And he he was so correct because I read article after article about how I'm going to put a rose on my nose here. So forgive me, uh, how, how uh, uh, the final chapter stands out. And it stands out, I, I watched it again about five years ago, it stands out because the kids are relatively real. Yes. Uh, and, and it's not, not that they, just get, they get punished for screwing, they, they, get, they get punished because the world is random. Yeah. And, and horror will come to anybody. That's so true. Yeah, and I, and I like that even in the group of friends, uh, none of them stand out as like, the cool one. Yeah, like yeah. A, a cool archetype. They're all sort of misfits and outcasts a little bit in their own way, even though they've got this sort of yeah. clan of uh, of friends that are together. And it does make you care a little bit more about them because they're not just kind of paper cut, you know, paper doll type characters. Right. Pro- yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah, probably the, the best written one out of the first four for sure. Oh, of course. As far as like, like the cast. And even like the cast, when you think of the cast, like everyone in there, Chris, uh, Crispin Gulliver and... Um, uh, Corey Feldman. Um, what's the the girl in the in the boat? Oh, Judy Aronson. Yeah, I mean yeah. they they all had like pretty damn good careers after. Um, so yeah. was was there because of you know because we we've kind of all seen the the documentary and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. was there clearly a desire to kind of go out with a bang and pump money into this in terms of cast and 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 production value because they they kind of felt like. Hey, the genre may be getting tired, or yeah. we're kind of tired of doing this, and we really want to celebrate this character and kind of like leave it all yeah. out there. I only know what I've been told. I was told uh, at some point during the, the, this this period that they they were out of money. They were this was really the final chapter, okay. and the most important thing I could do would be to find a way to kill Jason that looked like they really killed him. The so that, excuse me, so that we could end it. Uh, and um, I thought about this for a while, and I thought, you know, Jason is a non-human figure. Sure. Um, he's, a, he's sort of halfway between a ghost and a and a crazy man. 
And I said, the only way you're going to kill him is to get that mask off him, turn him into a person. Mm -hmm. And we did. We flipped the mask off him in, in the climax. And then, um, <laughs> and then Corey gave him the business. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, when, when the, when the mask comes off, you see, it's almost like, you know, years later and much bigger, the Luke, I am your father thing. Once the mask comes off, it's a person. A person mm -hmm. can be killed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the mask is like Samson with the mask. Is, you know, mm -hmm. there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then you get like Tom Savini, uh, who is the master who obviously work with Joe Zito on the prowler as well but um just that yeah. machete that machete slide like from the time i watched i'm 42 now and i think i've seen it the movie a hundred times and the first time i was probably like i don't know six or yeah, something yeah. <laughs> it had to be um uh, I, I watched the prowler too you know, to do prep for this uh to get a sense of joe it is a pretty good movie and joe made me go see the boogans which I really like. It's still one of my favorite horror movies. Which which one? The Boogans. Oh, the Boogans. I've, I've never the seen. Boogans. It. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I've actually never seen that one. Yeah, it's um, good. And and another thing yeah. too, in in retrospect, you know, because here's here's a, a franchise that has so many entries, especially by now. Um, what does it feel like to have basically the one that's considered the best? They people love four and six the best. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a couple of things about that. Um, first of all. Being told that something you did is great never gets old, ever. Never gets old. So, uh, yeah, I love all these things. When I see them, I clip them. Um, I, I, of course, I, 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 I don't do this anymore, but I used to go to oh, all of the uh, Friday parties, reunion parties, um, okay. oh, after that, parties. That sounds like fun. Fridays. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was great to hear all this stuff. And, and what, one of the things I learned at the... At the after parties is um, when you meet somebody who did one, two, and three, um, uh, you meet people who did, uh, say, five, uh, six, and seven. I remember Danny Steinman, who, who did five. They know everything there is to know about all of the Friday movies up until theirs and nothing about the Friday <laughs> movies <laughs> after them. Because they all did their prep, and then that was it. Once the philosopher, twice the pervert. So... Um, yeah, I, 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 one of my fondest mo moments in horror, because I'm not really a horror guy. I go to horror parties because the girls keep inviting me. Yeah, but I, I, that's a good I'm reason. Not really a horror guy. But I was at, uh, at one of these places where people come in and, and, and you sign their memorabilia and stuff like that. And um, some of the things you get paid, I, I would never want to get paid for that, so I never did. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this signing frenzy, a guy and his girl come in with a full-size subway one-sheet poster of uh, Killer Party, which is a movie I did that nobody knows anything about. But it was so warm to know that somebody loved this other thing that kind of flew under the radar all these years. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not opposed. I mean, the horror genre now has exploded uh, at, at all budget levels. And people from time to time come to me and say, Hey, why don't you do another horror movie? And I tell him something that Joe Zito told me. He said, you should never do another horror movie unless you absolutely have to. Nothing against horror, but you have an IOU now that you can cash anytime you need it. So I'm still waiting to cash that IOU wow. and do another horror movie. What if, what if they asked you to make Jason the musical? Okay. A Western I'll tell you a couple of things about that. <laughs> Chris Feldman... Chris Holmes and I have talked 
a lot about spinning off Tommy Jarvis. Okay. Yeah. And and what is Tommy Jarvis like now that he's 35 years old? I said, Corey, first of all, if we sell that, you're not going to play it. They're going to let Ryan Reynolds play it. And he laughs. But we've, we've, never, we've never actually gotten close for a lot of reasons, some having to do with uh, the way things worked out for Corey, some having to do with the way things worked out in, in the subsequent uh, rebirth of, of Friday with bigger Hollywood people. Uh, but I did spend uh, several lunches talking about a musical with George Romero called Night of the Living Dead, All Singing, All Dancing, All Dead. Oh, my goodness. Uh, which got picked, which got picked up by the late uh, Tony Adams, who was at the time producing the Spider-Man on Broadway. And uh, we did, uh, did a lot of work on it. And then uh, Tony died and took uh, All Singing, All Dancing, All Dead with him. So the idea to do a horror musical is not a terrible idea. Uh, the guy who um, I'm going to forget now. The guy who was the the guy who was the the voice all vo- all the voices of the Archies. Remember the Archies, Sugar yeah. Sugar and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, came to me and said, "Let's do a horror movie." So for a while, we were working on something called Club Z, which was a, a zombie musical. But you know, these things come and go in Hollywood, it's like the Witches of Oz. You know, they, they live, they die, they fly away. There's actually, so, um... but a, a horror musical is a great idea. There's um there's actually a horror musical that I'm thinking of by Lloyd Kaufman uh from Troma and it's called oh, Pol- Lloyd Kaufman. It's called Poultrygeist and uh I don't know I love it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's 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 definitely a Troma movie which means it's completely batshit crazy but Did, Were you going to say something? Didn't too? they make a musical out of Toxie? Uh you know the the, the, the what was the thing with the Toxic Killer? Yeah, to- yeah Toxic yep. Avenger. I I think they made um definitely a cartoon. They made a musical yeah, oh, that's funny. Also, uh, Anna and the Apocalypse was a zombie. Uh, right. A zombie music. That's on Hulu. Yeah. Um, I'm floored though that yeah, you, no, you no, actually were... talked about. What was that? Yeah. I've never been talked to about a Jason musical. I don't <laughs> think people would come to me, um, despite <laughs> yeah. my. There's so many new people doing this stuff. Here's another idea. Um, you know, with 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 Cobra Kai being such a big thing, uh, are you familiar with that show? Absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's that's a cool idea. So like you could take a a, a movie like Friday the 13th and you could do like a 10 series Netflix thing ar- around Tommy Jarvis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what he's doing you just now. Retcon it completely ignore yeah. the 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 subsequent films and yeah. then... I mean bring it to Shutter. That's Shutter yeah. too, yeah. yeah. But I think there's all sorts of legal stuff around the Friday franchise right now. Like, they can't even get another movie made. So You're right, yeah, but, unfortunately. Well, these, these, these days, you know what's happening in, with the streamers? Um, uh, I, I also, my other big horror cred is uh, Forever Night. I did a movie called Nick Knight, Vampire Detective. Turned into a series that ran 70 episodes on the USA Network. Uh, originally, Rick Springfield, the rocker, played him, but when it went from movie to series, it was Grant Wynn Davies. Yes, yes. And um, what happens now is when, when I, I put the pitch, as a matter of fact, the call after this is a call, uh, is a sort of the start of pre production on a project I sold uh, about a month ago. Uh, uh, I, I go to you know Netflix or Amazon or Hulu, and they say, well, what we really want is a, is a series. But not like. Oh, okay. Check. Uh, ah, sorry, we lost you. 
<laughs> but, I don't know if that was you or me, but, but you're wrong. Where, where did you lose me? So um, you were talking about the the call that you were going to get. Yeah, and you were saying that Netflix and the other streamers, yeah. they kind of have yeah, like a certain sense of it. So when, I, when I go in there with a script, I, I'll, I'll write scripts from time to time. But when you go in there with a screenplay, they say, and the, the ones that I've brought in, you know, include um, thrillers. Uh, they say, well, can you take um, Act One and and start your series with that, and then Act Three and end your series with that? And then give me five acts between the two, because uh, m- m- screenplays are essentially serials when you stretch them out. So the the way to do um, Tommy Jarvis uh, as a feature um, is is really you write, you write the, uh, uh, the uh, a pilot script, but you you conceive of it as a feature with the beginning, middle, and end. And then stretch it out to six, eight, ten, or twelve episodes, whatever it is the streamer wants. I, like I said, we talked to Corey. We've actually never talked about it as a series. We always talked about it as a movie. Uh, and I talked to Corey's manager, um, Scott Carlson, but we haven't done it in a couple of years. You know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe you've inspired me. Maybe I'll bring him up again and say, "Hey, what about this?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, just bring up Cobra Kai and Tommy Jarvis and yep. and I don't know Hulu Shutter doesn't matter. But there's there's millions of fans that would love to see something yeah. like that. You oh, know, 100%. it's definitely there's definitely a market for it. Yep. And and the way streaming services are now, I mean, it's just so. I mean, what do, what do you think of like all these streaming services and and these like avenues where you can get your work out if need be? I watch them. Uh, I have uh, I have relationships that some, but not all of them. Um, I, I watch them. I, I, I enjoy them. I enjoy the serialized version of it. I mean, it's one thing, you know, it's one thing to go to a, a movie or a show and and be mesmerized for two hours, but then you're left wanting more. So all of a sudden now you've got 12 episodes more, you know, so I, I, I like them and I watch them and I think it's the future. Sure. For so. sure. Yeah. Because you, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing um now when people gather um people used to bring up movies and to some extent sometimes they do but it's always like what are you watching yeah you yeah. know it's always what are you watching because yeah. it's, like you said you you could definitely stretch out that story i i had a question just uh, back to um friday the 13th 4 like do you remember what it was like to watch that first screening after the movie was made i um yeah uh, ask me that question again because i want to make a point about what we were talking about before oh sure uh, but, but well before COVID, I mean, like 10 years ago, and before even um, the stream, before even the streamers, it occurred to me, sitting on my couch, watching TV with my beautiful wife beside me and a bowl of popcorn in front of me, it occurred to me that if you were to materialize today, uh, have, having never been here before, and said to the public, I have a great idea. I'm going to get you off your couch with your friends and your family. I'm going to take you to a dark room. I'm going to close the doors behind you. You're going to sit in a chair. You're not going to know who's around you. And your feet are going to stick to the floor because of old Coca-Cola spills. I think you would never be able to sell that. I think we do movies now only because they're grandfathered in. Nobody would want to go to the movies if they hadn't been grandfathered in. People would love to watch TV at home. And I think that's what we're going back to, even when COVID's gone. 
That makes me sad. Um, I, it, <laughs> yeah, it kind of makes me sad because I do love you know. But and and there is something to to be said w- with what you said because when I go to a movie theater or used to, um, I the, I would make it a point to go Saturday morning when no one was there. Right, because <laughs> you don't want to deal with anybody else. Yeah, because I don't want to deal with anyone. But honestly, you know, you bring up a great point, uh, Barney. It's sort of COVID has kind of accelerated almost, not necessarily the death, but certainly the. The, the the rapid decline of the theater experience and when you think about the technology that we now have you know at at home we all have giant tvs and great yeah. sound uh, and you don't have to deal yeah. with the general public you know i think there there definitely is, is something to be said for enjoying a movie in the comfort of your home though like i recently went out to the movies uh cuz they opened you went to go see tenet and i went to see tenet the christopher nolan movie and that's a movie that I wouldn't want to see on the small screen first. It it sort of deserves and kind of right. requires a big screen viewing. And I, I still feel like there's a place for that, for some of those really big yeah. kind of movies. Yeah, I, I think that's what it's going to wind up being. The, the theaters are going to be some big screen things, things that really benefit from having a big screen and, and I have total immersion. The, the, the music, the sound in a movie theater is way louder than you would ever make your television. <laughs> yeah, that's true. pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's there, there is something to be said with that. Cause it's just, you know, how many times do we overlook someone staring at their phone yep. or like talking <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. I want to get the hell out of yeah. here. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> but then that, that... Go back to your question. yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. It, com- completely. And, and it ties into to the movie theater. So perfect. <laughs> what was that first screening like? Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, now, do you mean the first screening? Uh, you mean the first screening of my own work? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I love them and I hate them. I, I love them and I hate them because you make so many um, uh, choices. You, know, you make so many decisions in writing a, a, a screenplay. And then the director comes in and makes his decisions on top of your decisions. And then an actor makes his decisions on top of the director's decisions. So when you're watching it, you're always slipping deeper and deeper into your chair because some of these things are so much worse than what you had in mind. And even worse, some of these things are so much better than what you had in mind. (laughs) And and so it's very difficult to watch your own stuff. However, if you've got a friend or a wife or a girlfriend or any kind of person who you care about, bringing them to your screening is my second most favorite thing to do as a filmmaker. It's 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 just it's a wonderful thing when they call you up and they say, Oh, this is Barney Hero's the thing and Barney's a blah blah and a blah blah. It's just, <laughs> it's just even even here at the on the bottom rung of showbiz, which I used to be. And still am in a, in a certain ways. But the other thing is when you write a script, you well these days you know, you're on a computer, but in those days you you take eighty to a hundred blank sheets of paper and you scribble on it, and you type things. If those things are typed well enough, somebody spends five, eight, ten million dollars to make it a, a movie. And so, the first day of um, of shooting, uh, I like to arrive uh, at about an hour before first call. I find the tallest uh, trailer or truck uh, in the production. I climb up on the top with a chair. I get myself a cup of coffee, and I watch this like little mini city of people streaming in on a job, not just a job, 
but the job that they want to do most in their life, make movies. And they're all coming because I took a hundred sheets of paper and did this. That's the world's greatest feeling. That's yeah. That that just made me feel good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, we, you know, like to, uh, you know, Tim's a comedian. Uh, I play music, so I write music too. So I get it. Like when, when you listen back to certain things, um, I feel like I could have sang something better or done something different. I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. I, so I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, because I'm a big Canon Films fan. I'm sure all three of us are. Yes. <laughs> and uh, once again, Joe Zito uh, supposedly talked to you about doing the script for um, Spider-Man with, with uh, Michael Dudikoff. I, I did the script for Spider-Man. Um, okay. That was, a, that was an interesting thing. Uh, Joe hired me to do the script uh, back in the days when they were actually talking about um, Tom Cruise. Uh, really, I oh, was yeah, yeah. A, yeah, I was a little bit more familiar with the Spider-Man thing than I was with the horror thing. Uh, but I, nevertheless, I read um, a bunch of Spider-Man comics. Um, wrote, I didn't write the script from scratch. I, it was a rewrite of Ted Newsom and John Brancato's script. Uh, Newsom's uh, a great guy, but Brancato was the one who went on to become a really big-time screenwriter. Uh, and the problem with it was when we got finished, um, they decided to low budget the movie. Uh, and it was okay. So we wrote X amount of million dollars out of it. I don't remember how much. Uh, and then they decided to do it for $2 million. So at that point, um, I looked at Joe and Joe said, let's get out of here. <laughs> and uh, we anchored the project as Variety used to say, and they hired Albert Pun to do it. Uh, the guy who had done Down Twisted, another sort of in-house Canon films guy. Um, but, um, yeah, I did the script and, and it didn't get made. If if your next question is, is any of my script in the original Tobey Maguire movie? The answer is no, but a lot of it is in the second Tobey Maguire movie because my villain is Dr. Ock and he's a lot of my Dr. Ock stuff. That actually, you know, up until Marvel really kind of upped the game with all of like the, the, the cinematic universe, it to this day, even though... The Spider-Man Two with Doc Ock is one of the best comic book movies of all time. It's it's incredible, and that's a great villain because I think he's got he's got uh, a, a human side to him that that not that doesn't always get captured in some of the other movies. Sorry, that was my nerd talking. No, no. <laughs> well, I mean, I just you know like growing up watching those canon movies like it's so funny um what the script turned into which is uh i guess get golan or one of them too was like oh yeah it's gonna be a man and he's gonna be half spider and he got bit by a spider like they had no idea no that's a true story that actually happened what happened was menachem golan i don't think he ever read the comic (laughs) i don't know why he doesn't have like the spiders and um so we actually we actually set up a lunch for him with stan lee and Stan essentially said, Look, you can do whatever you want with it. You bought it. He said, but you might think about how, why it became so popular. And then Menachem understood that. And we went back to the Peter Parker thing. You can't get it to do anything right. <laughs> but yeah, he, he wanted to, he wanted Peter Parker to turn into 
don't know, like tarantula, you know, stuff like that. Amazing. Oh, that's just, so great. Just like, the unawareness. Yeah. Amazing. I don't know if you've seen their documentary or the documentary on, on the, the film uh, on the uh, the company, but it's it's fascinating. Just uh, like, you know, how they would make a poster before they would make a movie just to get the financing. And uh, oh, yeah, I, I completely understood that because I had been a poster guy like 15 years before. Yeah. I, I completely got that. You usually get you get a a, a, a B talent, and they make a poster, and the B talent, you know, sits there and then uh, chats with the people who are coming in, and they, they raise the money off the poster. Sure, amazing. I, to this day, uh, I tell people who ask me to do a thing, I say, look, give, give me a, a second, and I make mental poster of the thing because if I can't figure out how to arrange the poster, the the the, the uh, copy. And, and the art, I can't figure out the movie. Because I, I know when I have the poster, I have a, like a, a single organizing principle for the movie or television series or, or I want to write. So everything I've ever done uh, because of my starting out on Madison Avenue is uh, is poster first. Even if I don't actually make the poster, I know what it is in my mind. Yeah, that that's interesting that that informed, uh, informed your writing so much. Was there anything sp- specific about your journalism foray that that also informs kind of how you come at a script. Uh, yeah, uh, as a journalist, um, I, 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 because I was a feature writer, um, New York Times, Sunday Magazine, Esquire, stuff like that. Uh, the, the important thing is to um, is, is to is to listen to the to the people that you're interviewing, and be able to recreate them in print. So I get the my that organizing principle thing I just told you from advertising, mm-hmm. but I get this sense of, of how different people speak and, and different speech patterns and different thought patterns through speech through journalism. Uh, I mean, that wasn't my plan. I wasn't saying oh, I'm going to be a journalist so I can be a filmmaker. Sure, sure. But you're always the sum total of what you've done before. And between the uh, the, the Madison Avenue uh, movie poster guy and the New York Times uh, Tell Me More guy. Uh, that, that, that informs my work today. Um, I, I read something and I, I don't really know much about it, but you know, it, it associated your name with a creep show Saturday, uh, morning thing. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. That happened. Yes. So what, what exactly you know, what was in this business start and don't finish? Uh, that was just a question of, I knew a guy, uh, we liked each other. He had rights to creep show. Um, somehow morphed into a cartoon idea um and uh it just, it just didn't go anywhere a lot of things just don't go anywhere i that, that's that's what i imagine i i know like just recently shutter um did a like a two episode thing where it was just like you know like a cartoon of of creep show um I, I think greg nicotero did one and i forget who did the other and it was pretty cool you know like you know so i'm i'm do you keep up i'm I, not, I'm not animation in, in, in any way i uh in fact, I, I wrote an episode of He-Man that leads off the He-Man uh, collector's oh. edition 10 death episodes. It's the one where Skeletor and He-Man team up. But I don't I don't pursue it. I have to be asked. Somebody has to say, yeah, hey, I want to do this cartoon. That thing started, I believe the, the problem there, uh, but I don't want to characterize the problem because this is this is the public consumption. Uh, but there was a problem between the rights holder and the animator, and I was just a writer. Sure. Gotcha. Yep. Um, would you say 
probably, aside from Friday the 13th, the Sabrina series was like the, the thing that you're known for the most? Yeah. When I go to parties, I have to look somebody in the eye and say, this is Barney Cohen's Friday the 13th Final Champion. This is Barney Cohen's Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Who, doesn't, the who, do, who doesn't love a talking cat? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's be honest. Is, Mel- the way, is Melissa Joan Hart yeah. insufferable? <laughs> She's insufferable, isn't she? She's is, right? is Melissa Joan Hart insufferable? She's got to be. <laughs> no, she was a doll. I mean, I haven't seen Melissa in 10 years, but she was a doll then. But, I, I mean, that um, was that was a, a huge run. Yeah, know? that was a hugely successful Yeah, that was a show. very successful show. You know, for I mean, they and they even kind of or did they remake it or redo it on Netflix? They did, yeah. They, recently, yeah. So they paying you for that? <laughs> they should. They should. Uh, um, I, I'm involved only in original Sabrina. Uh, okay. Things that can you know, like the Chilling Adventures or whatever. I'm not. I have no involvement in that because I didn't create Sabrina from a blank sheet of paper. It's an Archie Comics character. Okay. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by the whole, you know, kind of creator process and how that feeds in financially. Uh, you know, Forever Night, does that still sort of deliver at some point, you know, financially or 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 does that still yeah, get played? Yes, yeah, 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 yes, yeah. Forever Night's very good to me. Um, Forever Night is an original piece. Yeah. Although a lot of people think it comes from a comic book, it doesn't. Um, I actually have a project now which is kind of a female-driven um, journalist version of Reverend Knight, where she's a crime reporter like Kolchak um, that becomes a vampire in the in the, in, the, in the pilot and uh, and then uh, uses her vampirism, uh, her special uh, attributes and skills uh, to become a journalist on the, in the dark side of the paranormal. So, yeah, that's the gift that keeps on giving. That started out as a CBS TV movie with Rick Springfield, the, yeah. the rocker, and then became a, a television series. I'm the creator of that, and that's a clean sheet of paper. Anybody who does anything with that, you know, I'm involved in. Okay. Um, I prefer to go spin off this thing that I'm talking about now, and we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, what are you doing now? Do you, like, what, what you just said about the... Uh... The female a vampire. I did. A, I did. A, I did a movie called um, uh, Guernica. Okay. Uh, it's a, a historical fiction movie about the bombing of Guernica, uh, and, and with a fictional uh, guy and gal. Uh, guy is a journalist, and the gal is a propagandist. Um, and uh, it, it, it made a nice splash. Uh, and I, I, I told my writing partner, the Spaniard, uh, the Spaniard uh, Carlos Clavijo, C L A V I J O. Um, that, you know, doors are going to open now and we're going to do a lot of these things. Well, the doors opened and behind every door was somebody asking me for another teenage picture of vampire detective. <laughs> so it's very hard to break them out. <laughs> but right at this moment, there are two people who uh, look like they want to do something of mine with Carlos based on La Nueve, which was a, a company of um, Spanish Civil War veterans who fought under De Gaulle for the Free French and we're actually the first um, group into Paris in World War World War Two. Really? So we'll see. I might think it's going to that one. Are you Are you a big history buff? Uh, I'm a uh, buff's a tough word. I, I I guess so. I guess so. But I would I I uh, but I you know I've been a soldier, um, and I like to use what I know about life. Uh, so the idea of doing this um, this group, uh, and the idea of doing. Uh, 
Guernica, you know, basically basically a movie version of Picasso's painting. Um, very appealing to me. So uh, I, I got, I'm knocking wood, crossing fingers, that I get to do this. Otherwise, I'm back with the Teenage Witches and the Vampire Detectives. Not a bad place to be. Not, the best thing to be no. doing in Hollywood is working, and I'm a working guy. So, sure. um, but we'll say, yeah. Yeah, not a bad. And like you said to, in the beginning of the po- podcast, you said that you were big into war movies and, uh, you know, obviously war and journalism, definitely all that stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, just wrapping up here, just out of curiosity, back to uh, the final chapter, were there any like deleted things um, from the movie that, that you wrote that you felt, um, I guess, like that you didn't want taken out, but maybe Joe took out like any deleted scenes that you wrote? No, no. M- most, of, most of that happened um, in the writing. None in the, I have to okay. say that Joe's okay. even, you know, you write something and, and, and Joe says, well, I don't like that. Take it out. Uh, but once I, once I had the script locked, of all of the movies I've done, and it's not a hundred, but of all the movies I've done, the movie was the closest to the script that I uh, that I've done. I mean, Joe fell in love with the script. He fought for every page. Uh, you know, it rains almost all the way through uh, Friday. This, yeah. this little chapter, uh, and and this I thought was important, and 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 Joe thought it was important. It's pain in the butt when you're producing. Because you need five changes for everybody. Because if you do a second take, they're already all wet. So you have to put them in new clothes and blow out their hair and everything. But there was an ickiness to the to the being enveloped in the rain that I wrote that Joe backed and Joe fought for all the way. And so there there is nothing really that didn't go into the movie that went into the screenplay. Everything that was cut out of the screenplay was cut out before it went to 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 the camera. Now let me ask you this: Did uh, did Joe like subcontract you? Because there's a story out there, uh, and I don't know, you know, the validity of it, where uh, the the studio didn't know that you were Joe was giving you the notes from the studio and you were writing. And yeah, like, you know, okay, yes, okay. There's, there's, there's stories about about this on on on, uh, on Red Scorpion as well, the the Dolph Lundgren movie. Right. Oh, uh, right. I I don't know any of that stuff. I really don't. I'm, I'm not being coy. I don't know any of that stuff. I know what you know. I know whatever I read. Okay. All I know with Joe is he, he invited me to a coffee shop on the Upper West Side, told me he wanted to do this movie, told me he loved the kids I wrote. Uh, we made a deal. We made a deal in the coffee shop. And the rest and, is um, Yeah. And I don't really know about that. On the, uh, uh, the the Red Scorpion thing was a little more, more complicated. But still, you know, I just know what I've been told. I'm a writer. I don't. I'm not in the belly of the beast. Right, right. The other thing is bringing uh, bringing a family into play. Um, I always thought was the the most interesting take of um, part four. Bringing a mother figure, uh, somebody that was around uh, that was in a supervisory role. Was that something you guys discussed beforehand, or was that part of the template of what the story was that was given to you? No, that's that's something I wanted to do. Okay. I think it was a brilliant choice, yeah, by it was the way, too. Choice, for sure. Because when you think about, um, you know, the danger there, it's even more like the, it just the reality sets in that despite this compassionate mother figure, these kids are in mortal danger, and it makes it to me even more even scarier. Well, I wanted to do something that was more emotional in the first three, which is a bunch of kids screwing and then getting killed. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, I guess just wrapping up here, uh, I just wanted to ask, you know, like as as a writer, um, is there something 
still out there that, that you feel like any topic that, that you would like to write about? Uh, yeah, but I, I, yes, but it would, it would take me another, another podcast to tell you all the <laughs> crap I'm working on. Uh, because like I said, I'm a generalist. I have, I have a rom-com I want to do. I have a, and also, by the way, I don't like, um, I don't, I don't usually tell people, what I'm working on because it, it's it's like a it becomes like a steam valve that lets off some of my steam and takes me away from the page. Sure, like I feel like I've already told a really cool story rather than written this. Of course, so I keep all, all that under my head. But I have at least uh, at least a dozen things that I'm doing work on daily, uh, uh, and, and one of them is horror. There's a rom com. There's a couple of historicals. Um, yeah, there, there isn't a specific particular thing uh I, I, that i could say this is this is my driving miss daisy as the guy says and get short <laughs> sure are, are, has, has i have eight i have eight driving miss daisies and i love them all <laughs> has there um has you know in the last like few years i always like to ask people if they've seen you know what are some movies that you've really enjoyed in like the last like five or ten years wow well, you know, uh, I, I think Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. <laughs> no, <laughs> Danny Simon's a wonderful fella. Um, the uh, Jimmy, what did I really like in the last few years? I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you. That. We'll save that I, for part I, two. I would have to. I would have to. I would have to think about it and then email you five yeah. times. <laughs> we'll put it in the notes. Can, right. can I just tell you? I have to. I have to say this. In the beginning of part four, you have written one of my favorite lines in a movie of all time, where she says to Axel, "You are the Super Bowl of self abuse," and I. I think I say that at least three times a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I'm glad it wasn't something that some actor ad lived because that happens to me a lot. <laughs> oh, no. oh yeah, yeah. I was there's, waiting for that too. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, oh, I didn't write that. <laughs> there's absolutely no way that wasn't written. That's a brilliant line. He's like, ah, oh, Corey Feldman wrote that. It's a brilliant line. <laughs> um, Barney, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for sitting down talking to us. Um, you know, uh, man, this is this is a treat. I can't wait to put it up for Friday the Thirteenth. And uh, I don't know. How do, how, do I, how do I find it? I just write, write in whatever it is. Yeah, I sent you the last email I sent you had the link to everything that uh, you would need to, you know, if you click on that link, it'll bring you to, you know, um, all, all the platforms uh, where you could find us. Yep. Spotify, Apple, Red River Great. Podcast. All right. I got another call in 10 minutes, which hopefully is the start of pre production on. Uh, yet another team thing, but that's all right. Um, business is business. And thanks, Tom, for inviting me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank yes, you. Man. Thank you so much, Barney. Thank you so much, Barney. Thank you, Barney. Be well. Right. Hello, right.